This is the Overtime Podcast Network. This is the Turn on the Jets Podcast. With the third pick in the 2019 NFL Draft, the New York Jets select Quinnen Williams, nose tackle, Alabama. Now, here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. Today we are joined by Brian Bassett, multi-time guest on the pod, uh, longtime Jets blogger and manager of the Jets blog. We're going to talk NFL draft, uh, the state of the Jets organization and roster after the NFL draft, uh, and answer a few questions that you guys sent through on Twitter. Before we jump into our conversation, an always friendly reminder to subscribe, rate, review on iTunes. We're actually currently giving away a Quentin Williams jersey, and all you need to do is tweet over a screenshot of your review, and you're eligible to win at random. So we already gave away Le'Veon Bell, now we'll do a Quentin Williams. So iTunes, we're also on Spotify and Google Play. Aware we've had some ad placement issues with our last couple episodes my friend Scott Mason will be uh, helping clean that up on this episode and all future episodes going forward. So bear with us. And an ad network's new for us. You know, we're just we're just a small time podcast uh, coming up in this world. Anyway, Brian, how you feeling? Thank you for joining us. What's going on? I'm doing great. Uh, I'm doing great. I think. How am I feeling? I feel like I've. I'm 42 years old, and I'm finally coming to the realization that. Like I put a lot of hope in the draft every year, and while I would say this is a fine draft class, um, I think I have so many people that I'm always in love with uh, going into the draft. Anything is a disappointment when you don't get the twenty to thirty guys that you've been, you know, looking into, researching, kind of you know, emotionally attaching yourself ahead of the draft. And then, so when you come away with anything less than that, it just feels like this disappointment. So, and then, and then, you know, other things that like, oh, if I was the GM, I would play it this way. And then it doesn't play out that way. Uh, And so, so I think there's just some of that like worry and concern that I have when I think about what the Jets did in the draft, you know, not that I am an NFL GM, but if I was, what would I have done or tried to play the draft? How, how would I have tried to play it, play it out? Um, and then, you know, come away with in, in the end, but in the end, what I would say is, you know, summary level, you know, they, they auto picked a guy who looks like a, you know, a world-class talent. Unfortunately, it's just that a position that they seem to continue to pick. And then, you know, somehow after four to four to six years, that person evaporates out of the organization in some form or fashion. Uh, and then they did wind up filling some positional needs later on. But, you know, just feeling like there's a little bit left that seems unresolved as far as I'm concerned. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. You know, I I think I really like my my sort of like snap take reaction is I really like what they did on day two. I like taking the mm-hmm. high risk swings for the edge rusher, a guy who may have been a first round value, and they needed to 
start adding developmental offensive linemen. And he, uh, Adoga was a guy I liked in the pre-draft mm-hmm. process, a guy who has experience playing with Darnold for whatever that's worth. Uh, also, both of them are 21 years old, so they're still going to grow and develop uh, more so than some of the older prospects, I would say, than they drafted. I think with the Quentin Williams pick, I think we're on the same page. If you, you know, candidly, I would have been probably more excited about the Jets trading back and finding a creative way to address uh, some of their other needs in the early rounds. I was also a bigger fan of Josh Allen than many in the Jets draft mm-hmm. Twitter community were, and I think he's going to be a very good player in that Jacksonville front. And I, you know, I think, yeah, you could definitely make a fair case and convince me that Quentin Williams is a better overall prospect than him and maybe the best overall prospect in this class, which I think in a way – could also just speak to the overall quality at the top of this class, and that's not saying that I don't think he's a very good prospect. I do think, look, there's a very high floor with that pick. Uh, I think at a minimum he's going to be a better version of what we saw from Muhammad Wilkerson and Sheldon Richardson at their best, which is pretty damn good. I think for me the real question is, and one of our writers, Dan Easton, did a really good job of breaking this down and summing it up, the sort of redundancy versus variety with your pass rush and these teams that – concentrate so many resources uh, on the interior of the defensive line actually have kind of historically struggled getting after the quarterback to an extent. And that's why you see a lot of the best defenses in the league have a diversification. They can beat you off the edge. They can beat you up the middle. Now, Polite is a step to addressing that. He's a rookie, so you can only expect so much. Uh, I just wonder, I just look at how this team allocates their resources, and I just see up the middle, up the middle, up the middle. And it reminds me, and I keep referencing it, this stupid story about Isaiah Thomas uh, from the Bill Simmons book where he basically says, you know, everyone's trying to get smaller and faster. I'm trying to get bigger. And I see the Jets <laughs> pounding. How's that working out in yeah, the NBA? <laughs> I just see the Jets pounding resources at inside linebacker, like almost to a comical extent, uh, an interior yeah. defensive line. And I don't doubt they're going to be very good with C.J. Mosley and Avery Williamson and still having Darren Lee and Neville Hewitt and then adding another draft pick with Cashman at inside linebacker. And then $25 million on Henry Anderson and still having Leonard Williams and now drafting Quentin Williams. I just think when you play New England or you play certain other offenses, they're going to spread the Jets out. They're going to put Avery Williamson in space. They're going to put C.J. Mosley in space. And Mosley's fine in coverage, pretty good in coverage, certainly better than Williamson. Mm -hmm. And they're going to find a way to take advantage of the Jets' lack of overall speed. And I think think it was Chris Brown who tweeted this from Smart Football right after the Williams pick. And it was like, I love the player. He seems like the kind of guy who's going to be like a pro bowler pretty fast, but on – some not that good team, so it's going to kind of fall through the cracks, and that that kind of sums it up for me. I could see him having a really good rookie year, six, seven sacks, you know, one of maybe the five or six clear cut best rookies overall. Uh, but is this? Do I feel like this team has exceeded that seven and nine, eight and eight expectation that I still have for them? No. Uh, so that no. that's kind of my reaction to the like the top of the draft. I mean, overall, what are your thoughts? I guess on. Those first three picks. Mm-hmm. Then we can talk about the last three picks, which I liked substantially less yeah. than the first three picks. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, and we'll 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 get there, but because I could <laughs> I could start there, but uh, but yes, to to your point, I think number Quinn Williams, as you talked about, um, I think okay when you were watching the draft, if, if anybody was who's listening was watching the draft. Well, I don't care what station you're on. I'm sure they were saying it. They were talking about how Quinn Williams is an Aaron Donald type. Everybody's trying to find the next Aaron 
Donald. The problem is there's really only one Aaron Donald. Like, you know, there, that's not a guy that normally comes around. And Aaron Donald wasn't a top five pick. I think he was, what, five to 15, somewhere yeah, in that range. Yeah, like nine um, and so, like that, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so, so the point is, he could be that player, but that's you know that's always setting a high bar when you're comparing him to a player who you know legitimately was in MVP discussion um, this past season. Like, oh, okay. But that said, like, what bothers me about it, while I'm sure he's a talented player, and while I understand the best player available philosophy, it, right? It just doesn't do anything to. Um, massively impact a, a, a gaping hole on on the uh, on the field, and so right. So to your point of like, why couldn't they trade back? A lot of teams were trading back in the four, first round. I mean, look at what the Seahawks did. I can't remember. Did they start with four picks or something like that? And they wound up coming out of the draft with like eleven picks, something something crazy like that. So the, the thing is teams were doing it. it it was possible to do it the jets just weren't that inclined to do it or you know i think maybe washington's willing to sit tight was probably the biggest determiner of their inability to to trade back um, but that said he's a good player he obviously immediately jumps in to the middle of this line i mean he makes mcclendon i mean the player that mcclendon should be which is essentially a backup or if you need an extra lineman you can use goal line situations. Um, So I think that's good. You know, that certainly sorts that out. You know, his presence will obviously create some double team situations for other players like Leonard Williams. You know, I think Leonard Williams got the benefit in his rookie and second year of having players like Muhammad Wilkerson, of having players like Sheldon Richardson on the roster. But right to your point, it's just this type that the team keeps pounding and driving resources into. And I think when I think about it, the the reason I get so frustrated with the fact that they're drafting this player, it has nothing to do with Quinn and Williams or his talent or whatever. It's that they have had this type of person in their organization and they have let him go, right? So Quentin Copels, we're just going to wipe him out of the equation. But you've had Muhammad Wilkerson, you've had Sheldon Richardson, you've had, you know, now Leonard Williams in the mix. Um, there's, I don't, are there other defensive linemen I'm forgetting about in the last... 10 years probably um, that they, that they trusted high. I think that that's the, that's it. But, but the point is that talent has, I mean, yes, they traded them in some cases for meaningless draft picks that just weren't worth the value that those players actually created. So it wasn't like this is a Detroit lions situation where they, they just kept missing on wide receiver. And then you're gun shy to go back at receiver. All of these players are talented. Sheldon Richardson went to the pro ball, right? I mean, Muhammad Wilkerson was a pro bowler. Like these guys were good players. And so it, it's not like they weren't hitting at the position. Like we get it. You guys are good at drafting defensive linemen. Show me that you can draft another cornerback. Show me that you can draft a center. Show me that you can draft a wide receiver early. Like I don't want a player at three, but if you can move back and then pick up those players, that's the kind of thing that I think really bothered me about it when I kind of sit and, and kind of think about it. Now, I'm not so concerned about the Henry Anderson money. Um, I, you know, I think they'll figure out a way to play their best players. I think Henry Anderson will be in the mix. And I think, you know, you know, polite who who we're going to get to in a second. I think, you know, he'll, he'll find a role early too. But so I was a little frustrated with how day one went and that they didn't pick up more draft picks when they could have, if they had manufactured the right situation to, to move themselves back. So that's number one. That was a long number one. 
<laughs> but number two, um, right, the the Jakai Polite pick and the and the Adota picks. Like I, I felt like I was a little frustrated after day one, and then going into day two, I said, okay, I feel you. I see what you're doing, McCagnan. Like you're coming, you're coming back here, and we're getting, you know, we're going to get the kinds of players that, that we need at the positions that we need. So I think, like you, I feel like day two really redeemed the draft for me because number one, it got them a potential edge rusher who had some issues kind of going into the off season in terms of health. And, you know, that obviously played itself out through the combine. And I'm less worried about that because you look at his tape, you look at his production um, on the field last season, you know, in a, in a you know, premium program and he, he definitely performed. And so, so I can see that and say, okay, I can see, see a fit here what's unclear to me is he going is he doing it by motor or is he doing it by athleticism or a combination of both and it's like until i can kind of see the athleticism for myself or watch more of him i'll just say it looks like it's motor based but um but i mean he does have some quicks for sure so i like that pick and i think with that heavy front he can pair nicely um and then Adoga, right. Like, I, I don't know if he'll be a day one starter. Do you think he'll be a day one starter? I mean, my thought is, like, he, he comps to Kelvin Beecham. Kelvin Beecham isn't going anywhere now because there's really no, I mean, the only, his big competition would be Adoga. Maybe you move him in at some point or you play him elsewhere on the line if you need to this year. But my thought is he's, a, you know, he's maybe someone who makes more of a contribution in year two, um, unless he's playing guard or they, or, I don't know, they, they cut, they cut, um, Beecham, that that's the only way to fit. But what I do like is the fact that he does know Sam Darnold and Sam Darnold knows him. And so, I mean, that's only so valuable, but if you can imagine him being the left tackle of the future, there's a lot of trust that those players were able to build up when they were together at USC and they'll be able to bring some of that back. Now at the end of the day, the trust between those two guys doesn't matter when it's JJ Watt lining up against you, but, uh, or Von Miller or whoever it might be. Uh, but at the same time, like I think that familiarity hopefully will, will yield some longer term gains for, for the offensive line. But yeah, they still have lots of work to do there. This is the overtime podcast network. Yeah. I worry about the offensive line. I feel like a dog is a guy that probably they hope or project to be a starting tackle in 2020, whether it's for Beecham, whether it's for shell, who's been a little more up and down. than I think jet fans want to admit I'm not, I, I guess it's probably not at the table that he could theoretically slide in and maybe play guard if Brian winners is struggling this year. But you know, from an offensive line standpoint, I just, you know, leaving Jonathan Harrison as a starter when he really has not been a full-time starter at any time recently in his career struggles at center trickled down to the rest of the line they trickle down less when mm-hmm. you're great at guard or great at tackle the jets are neither they're Brian Winters is a below-average player, I would say. Maybe barely average, if you're being generous. Osemele, if he's yeah. himself, is very good in a top-tier guard. Now, he has not been that guy in a couple of years. Could he have a year where he is very good, and I think he'll be better than James Carpenter? Sure. That's one spot. Brandon Shell's coming off a major injury and missed four games the year prior, missed four games last year, so... You know, he's okay when he's out there. And Calvin Beecham is probably one of the more underrated players, I think, by Jet fans. I think he's a competent left tackle, which is a hard thing to find in this league. So I think it's an okay unit. Yeah. But one of the things in this Jet schedule that I think when looking at it, I think their defense has a lot more favorable matchups than their offense will. And that's a result of playing Buffalo twice a year. And Buffalo has a very good defense and will have a very good defense. Maybe not so much on offense. 
Um, they play a Baltimore team that is always going to be good on defense, but it's probably going to be one-dimensional on offense. You look at the Eagles' front seven. You look at the Cowboys' front seven. And all of that comes early in the year. You know, you get Buffalo's front, Cleveland's front, which is ridiculous, uh, and then the Eagles mm-hmm. and the Cowboys so all in those first six weeks. That doesn't even factor in New England, Yikes. who on paper, you know, might not have the most amazing looking front seven, but always finds a way to get after you. So that that's where my concern is. The schedule does even out after that. But I think defensively, they have a lot of favorable matchups. They're going to play... Uh, Josh Allen twice. They're going to play Josh Rosen twice. They're probably who knows with Gettleman, but play get to play Daniel Jones. They'll play Dwayne Haskins. They'll they'll have a favorable run on the quarterbacks they play. So I'm not worried about their defense uh, winning some games for them. I just worry about certain defensive fronts getting after Sam Darnold. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. I think right if if assembly now these are a lot of ifs here right and when you string a lot of ifs together that basically just what you're winding yourself up for disaster but kind of starting with assembly like if he can be healthy um i feel like he can babysit someone like harrison uh you know he can he can babysit the center um kelvin beecham if he's healthy he'll be fine and then right like between winners and shell like it's just going to be the the weaker side of the line and you're just going to have to deal with that and then right if there are injuries or um Idoga plays well in camp okay then you you know maybe you you move him forward a little earlier than expected but right i would not be surprised if we see Idoga at some point move into a starter's role and probably mostly because of injuries of some kind. And so I don't know Idoga's game enough to know if he's like, you know, a one hit, like I can only play left tackle or if he's versatile enough to move around. Uh, but my thought would be, you know, he's best suited to play the tackle spot. Um, so you, one would hope that he would play either, if he's going to play, he's going to play at Beecham or, or Shell spot. But that's right. That's not an area of concern right now. So there's no rush to get him in there is, is ultimately my point. But right. If, if Winters is, is failing, OK, well, maybe we 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 play him at guard. But then, right, there's that whole thing of like, well, are we kind of ruining him to play tackle next year? And, you know, I don't know. It just depends on how resilient a player and how athletic a player he really is. You know, it's going to be offensive line again. I hate feeling shaky about that with Darnold, and it's just going to be interesting to see how those reps shake out. And they just got to stay healthy. I mean, I think a lot of times that's what it comes down to for certain NFL play, like NFL teams. Like they got to stay healthy up front because the depth, even if a Doga is a good find, is still a little shaky. Um, day three picks. So mm-hmm. first pick. Trevin Wesco, basically a guy who at West Virginia was a blocking tight end, caught 28 passes throughout uh, his career there, 26 of which came last year. I think when you look at how Adam Gase plays offense, about 70 to 75% of the the set is going to have three receivers out there and not two tight ends. The other you mm-hmm. know, 20 or 30 may use two tight ends, and the Jets don't have a fullback. So he sort of projects as a guy who bounces between that inline tight end and allows you to move Herndon around a little bit, your lead blocker in certain situations, and could be a move tight end in certain situations. So I think this guy, and you know, I saw a little of him in college, is a real darling of the draft community. Baldinger was raving about him. A few other people were raving mm-hmm. about him. And look, I, I don't think adding another guy who could block is a bad thing. I think the fair counter is, can you find a blocking tight end you know, somewhere else later in the draft? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, the Jets have been trying this with Eric Tomlinson, and he was terrible last year, and, you know, Jordan Leggett is like, whatever. They definitely had a need to add a tight end, and I was initially a little hesitant about this pick. I've been 
gradually starting to be swayed the more I dove in and more I've you know heard just how effusive the praise has been around this guy. I don't think he's going to be a factor in the passing game. I do think he could be an effective blocker. And then, candidly, I pretty much hated their last two picks. They took a linebacker. <laughs> they took an inside linebacker, the last position they needed to add. I don't want to hear about the board and the board and the board. Don't tell me there wasn't someone else comparable to the board who plays receiver or offensive line or edge rusher. You don't need another inside linebacker. You just spent $7 gazillion on inside linebackers and used a first-round pick on one and brought back Neville Hewitt for further depth. He had three shoulder surgeries over the past two years. Not ideal for a linebacker whose whole job is prefaced on putting his shoulder down and absorbing contact. Uh, maybe projects mm-hmm. to being a good special team or if the Jets play more 4-3, get some looks out there. I don't see it. It feels like a guy who's going to struggle to stay healthy and maybe top out at a special teamer. And then on their last pick in the sixth round, they took a guy who's played five games over the past two years, is already 23 years old, has had two ACL surgeries and will start the year on PUP and probably be on IR his entire rookie year. You could spin all you want to try to justify that pick. It's a throwaway pick, and the Jets with only six six picks to make, to take that kind of risk is insane to me. Now it's a six-round pick. Is it going to make or break their season? No, but... Smart teams find more Quincy Nuas in the sixth round, or they find other guys who contribute in the fifth and sixth round. They don't take 23-year-old cornerbacks who have played five games in the past two years at Rutgers and have two ACL surgeries. So it basically was sort of like a downward slope of their picks. The first four as a unit, like, yeah, I, I could get it, and I really I, there's a strong justification, I think, for all those picks. Last two, uh, they seem like the classic, like, meme of Mike McCagnan that we would make was what those two picks were. What, what were your thoughts? Uh, I think I have a little bit of a different take, but I think I'm more tolerant to wasting your, your late round picks. Like I th- and I think like this, just to quickly spin it back for a second, like I think this is why I was so frustrated with them not trading down out of three or being able to manufacture Manufacture the ability to 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 like you know generate enough interest to get the Giants to come up for Daniel Jones or the you know the the Redskins like they should have been able to to manipulate um you know the what people were saying and doing and what was being reported to create urgency and so like out of that their inability to do that that's where this really stems from because I'm a big believer in the first three rounds are really where you. Um, you know, you get your starters, you get your long-term players, players are going to get second contracts with the team. And, you know, I mean, that's the thing about, you know, when you start looking uh, at the, at these type players, you know, once you get to the the fifth round, you know, players are 42% likely to get a second contract from any NFL team, not even the team that drafted them. So draft capital basically goes out the window the year after or two years after a, a, a player has been drafted, you know, in the fifth round or later. And and it only gets lower the further you go, right? So so my point is, what why does that matter? Well, it matters because if you're all if these guys are more than likely to not to be washed out of the league in 3 years, um, you might as well make some upside plays or look for inefficiencies in the market um, and, you know, and kind of the way people are being valued at things. I mean, it's kind of that moneyball idea. And so I understand that there's a lot of ways to play Moneyball or kind of take Moneyball or, you know, derivative based, you know, based, uh, you know, markets. And so the way I'm looking at these guys here. So now, number one, I didn't like Trevon Wesco mostly because I don't really see the value he gains and all the good tight ends. This was a pretty good tight end class. This is kind of like the 
what was the year Travis Kelsey came out? 2013. It kind of felt like a felt like a redux of of that class. Um, and and so <laughs> I guess we're, what was frustrating about it is like the guys like once Kahale Waring was off the board, I was like, okay, I'm kind of out on tight ends. So then to go ahead and get a blocking tight end. After the fact, I guess my, my my assumption was okay. So they traded back and back and back and back to you know to get this guy, and I mean essentially he cements Herndon's role as the primary tight end in this offense. He's right a a utility player. He's a special teams player. He'll be a fullback tight end, you know, blocking player for for this offense, and that's really all he is. Okay, so we're using you know this pick, and we traded out of some maybe more picks to get this guy um so okay fine i guess uh, but I, I wasn't thrilled with it right and then um you know the cashman thing it seems to me like, like he's got a pretty good athletic um profile and you know he's been productive in college and so right he has had some injury concerns and i think that's why he fell as far as he did uh and so you know he's going to be a core special teamer for this team if he if he stays on the roster uh and right he'll be a backup you know to 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 this group and so i guess my, my thought is just that like it's fine to have backups and it's fine to have players and you know this guy's probably not on the roster anyway so like the Teams were letting him slide on their board because they were worried about his ability to produce, and so, so like I'm fine taking him there. It's you know it's not the worst thing they could done. Sure, certainly, maybe are there better players? Of course, always. But you know when I look at it in the grand scheme of things, and then the the Blisson Austin thing, like yeah, I'm similarly flummoxed. But again, it's a sixth round pick. This guy's probably not going to be on the team. He seemed to be pretty well regarded in scouting communities going into his injury uh, run there. And so, like, it, how do I say this? I think the way the way I justified them taking him was, well, at least they didn't Dexter McDougal him, right? Like, in what was it, a second, third round pick that they used on Dexter McDougal? Uh, oh, yeah. Like, it, it felt, so it, to me, it's like, well, it's the sixth round. It's three rounds after when they took Dexter McDougal, which I thought, like, I was immediately livid about when they did that and and like i i tried to talk myself into and i mean i don't know he had some moments or whatever but but at the end of the day he he just never stopped right he he couldn't stick and so so i kind of feel like well it's a six-round pick like they're just kind of dexter mcdougaling the situation this is when they should have dexter mcdougal dexter mcdougal so i'm okay with that but Writ large, what I do see, Joe, is the fact that this is a team that is a very traditional coaching, uh, you know, coaching and film grinding scouting team, and they're not doing a lot of the, um, you know, analytics based, metrics based stuff. And I just, I don't see it. Um, I just see very traditional, very, you know, staid boring, you know, film grinding, you know, letting your eyes lie to you because you're charting all this stuff. Uh, and and that's the kind of stuff that drives me crazy. So it's like I can see that they were trying to get a little inefficient and trying to play on those injury concerns and hope that those guys bounce back from them. But right, that that's kind of my worry is it's like it's just film grinders like doing film grindy things, and that's kind of what I expected from this group. The one thing that I would say about those two players, Cashman and Austin, and I'm curious to hear your perspective on is. Now I know they're late picks, but so you can only read into it so much, but like Austin won't play this year. So why, if Mike McCagnan is on the hot seat, why is he doing that this year? 
is it because he feels pretty secure in his job next year? Like he must, I, I guess, right? Like, why are you setting the table for somebody else? If you don't even think you're going to like, if, if he, and he might not believe it, but he, I would, that's not the kind of move I would make if I was fearing for my job come December. Um, I would be finding a much more early productive player in the sixth round. I'd take Greg Dortch there. Like I, I would do that um, because he can probably contribute uh, and I can guarantee that and he can be my punt returner from day one. But so I, what was your thought about that? Did you, did that occur to you at all? I mean, it dovetails interesting to some of the rumors that have been starting to spew out from a variety of different Mm -hmm. places about friction uh, in the front office and friction with McCagnan and Gase. And I think a lot of that was misread or misinterpreted as McCagnan, like, potentially being pushed out, like, now, which would never happen and doesn't make any sense. And I always read it more as, like, someone like Heimerdinger Heimerdinger and a subsection of the scouting department, like, being ready to split because maybe they disagreed about the direction that the draft ultimately went. The McCagnan gaze friction was inevitable. I'm surprised that it's leaked out already. That could be nothing. I think that's fairly common and sometimes could be an okay thing, but we knew with Gase's personality there was going to be disagreements, and there had been rumblings from a lot of people that they weren't totally lockstep on some of the free agency decisions. McCagnan, I don't know if I was him. I common sense would say he should feel like he's absolutely on the hot seat. He's 24 and 40. He has the worst record in organization history for any GM who's lasted more than two years. But really, it's just starting to squeak through a little bit where he's getting a little media pressure. But he basically got a promotion after this year. He got promoted to get to hire the head coach. He's the number two guy in the organization. He's the only one out there after every draft pick. As long as Chris Johnson is like the interim acting owner... I don't know why he should feel in his head that he's not going to be given this year. And I think in his mind, he just needs to go 7-9 and nine or 8-8. Eight and eight, And he could sell that through as another positive step in this 6-7 year rebuild. And he doesn't feel like there's going to be enough heat to knock him off after one year. So he could very well believe that. And that very well may be the case. Because if you ask me today what's going to happen with this Jet season, I'd say they're going to go 7-9 and nine or 8-8, eight and eight, and it will be widely considered yeah. a big success that they won three or four more games than they did last year, and the rhetoric will be 2020 is really the year where it has to happen, which makes my head want to explode for a thousand reasons, but it's not. It's neither here nor there you know, for this time of the year. I mean, what, what was your take as all those rumors were spewing out between Friday and Sunday? I mean, I thought it was a Brian, uh, Brian Heimerdinger um, you know, inside job. Uh, that, that's kind of what I thought it was. I, I was kind of surprised, but I was like, oh, well, I guess, I don't know if, if they really hated Quinn and Williams, um, you know, the, the pick, like it, it, why would you, why would you let it get to this point? And teams do make that move. But what I would say is Mike Lombardi has never been, um, uh, affectionate towards the Jets, right? I mean, he's buddies with Bill Belichick. So anything he can do to make the Jets look bad, like he's going to do. Now, the Jets do a lot to make themselves look bad. So like, let's keep that in mind. But at the same time, like, uh, you know, it's an opportunity for him to, um, you know, do something he enjoys to do anyway, um, which is, you know, make fun of the Jets. And so so I, I kind of read it with like, oh, half interested. Uh, but then I just started musing about it and kind of tweeting about it, not because I thought it was like legitimate, more because I was just trying to think about how this thing would play out. And personally, I think the biggest person in play that could benefit from it is, is, is Heimerdinger. And I mean, you look at the situation, if you go back and read that SI article, um, 
uh, from a year ago about how they got Sam Darnold. Like he is featured prominently in that article. So like he is, um, you know, he's making a lot of the moves within the organization. He was the one that essentially floated the idea of the trade to the Colts initially. Um, you know, he, he, he's, he's well involved in that offense, in that offense, in that, in that office. And so I think as a result, like if McCagnon were pushed out, the most likely replacement, I would, you know, I would give, I don't know, 60%, I would say 40 to 60%. So I put the odds somewhere there that the replacement would be Brian Heimerdinger um, because he's an inside person and he's been demonstrating competence over the last couple of years. Now, I don't know if that that's competence will, would play itself out as a GM in this league. And uh, I just think his background is kind of, yeah, more film grindy stuff, but I could see him wanting to make that move, um, you know, <laughs> and, and pushing for that move. I mean, Mike Tannenbaum, you know, pushed Terry Bradway in front of a bus and that was like his, his mentor to that point. So that, I mean, that happens, right. And that will continue to happen in this league again and again and again. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, before we go, quick, we'll go rapid fire because we're already up, up over 30 minutes here. Quick mm. question from Ed. Ed at Empire Weather LLC. Always like getting the meteorologist mm. questions in. What are the odds, and we get right. this question a lot, what are the odds Tremaine Johnson reverts back to his old form under Greg Williams? Because mm. we're going to need him. I've noticed that. A lot of the questions about the Jets roster for this offseason are often answered by fans like, well, Greg Williams will figure it out or, or Frank Pollock will figure it out. And it's like, yeah, but will yes, he? No. Will Greg Williams? Greg, Maybe. I, Greg, Greg Williams. Like, Williams. <laughs> Greg Williams' reputation has undergone an interesting reversion after Hard Knocks because he has – I feel like people <laughs> watched Hard Knocks and they fell in love with him and I'm like, I don't get it. I, I don't get it. No, I'm not in love with Greg Williams. Anyway, I, I do like that he will like they definitely needed like somebody to come in and like shake shit up a little bit after the Bulls and Casey Rogers experience. But Greg is like a boomer bust up and down defensive coordinator who's done like very inconsistent work since he's been the whole bounty gate thing happened. Right. So there's a reason the Browns didn't keep him. Uh, I think he could be an okay to good defensive coordinator, but I think acting like he's like Bill Belichick or Wade Phillips might be misguided. No way. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's, I mean, the league has passed him by. Like he, he still thinks, um, you know, I don't know. He, yeah. What, what is like, who is the guy? Oh, that guy that was, he was killed. He was uh, with the Washington Redskins. Sean, um, oh, he was the safety. Sean Taylor. Sean Taylor, thank you, thank you. Gosh, um, so like he still thinks he has Sean Taylor, you know, in in his in his defense, like because he, I mean, if you watched where he lined up players in, um, you know, last year in in Cleveland, like he's putting his safeties literally twenty to thirty yards behind the line of scrimmage, like no joke, he's legit doing that, and so like I, I can't not imagine he's still doing that at this point in this day and age. Um, that said, uh, the question was about Tremaine Johnson. <laughs> so let's get back to Tremaine Johnson. So the whole thing with Tremaine Johnson is he can't play worse than he played last year, can he? So the hope is, as, the, uh, as our friend Ed asks, like maybe this is an opportunity for him to revert to the mean. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, it's like a health at an age thing with, with Tremaine Johnson. Like, can he get back to being – the same physical outside corner. I just don't know at his age if that's a fair expectation. 
I feel like he has to be better than last year, but is he going to be mm-hmm. back to being the player he was with the Rams? Probably not, but if he could get like, no. you know, 80, 70% yeah, or something. Some, yeah. Like it will make life a little easier. Now, I still don't feel great about having him, Daryl Roberts, and Brian Poole as their top three corners, but it yeah. makes it a little more palatable, especially if the pass rush can be cleaned up a little bit. Yeah, and I think that's right. That's the hope is they'll be able to do that a little bit um, and clean, you know, clean up some of that and he'll play a little bit better. But right, like you have to wonder if it was just that contract, getting that contract just was like, okay, well, now I can coast. Like, I don't know. We're going to find out this year if, you know, if it's that. And I think I can't remember. I don't have the contract up in front of me, but like they've got at least another year of this, right? I mean, he's yeah. for sure on the roster this year. There's like, like, like there's guaranteed they might money be able to cut him loose. Yeah, it's yeah. He's it'll like, be a painful yeah. cut even next year. Exactly, it's nuts. Um, all right, last question, and it's basically an aggregation of like four different questions we got from Darren Tewksbury, Ricky Merrick, uh, FAX Chris, Center. And cornerback, are the Jets going to make a veteran addition? Are they going to roll with Harrison and Roberts as starters? And if they do make a veteran addition, who do you think they could target? Is there anyone out there that like gets you mildly intrigued at this point? Uh, I'm certainly curious who, um, if you if you have any ideas, uh, who was like I think I saw like Brandon Fusco just got cut the other day um, uh, by wherever he was. Like so, the the point is. Someone might shake loose, but at this point, like, I think you just need to be resigned to the fact that, like, what we have now is what we're going to get. Uh, yeah, the Falcons have released Fusco. He's a guard. But, like, so I just think Harrison is going to be the guy um, this year. I, I don't expect that they're going to be able to make many moves unless there's just some sort of weird surprise cutting, like, there's no one left at this point. You just have to go with what you got. And right. I think unfortunately they didn't do enough to address the center position. I know everybody's still crying about Matt Paradis, but like at this point, like you just got to move on. You just got to move on. And so, so like, I think we're just gonna have to make the best of it. Hopefully assembly can babysit Harrison and they'll get through the year. But yeah, if they do not address it, with extreme prejudice next year, like it's essentially negligent, right? They, it's, it's gross negligent at this point. Yeah. I think you nailed it. I think anyone they add at this point, it's not even guaranteed. They would be a starter. I think they'd be competing with Harrison and center. Even if they added a guy like Wazinski, who's been up and mm-hmm. down and there's a reason he's an off off the roster. Now, if they bring Mo Claiborne back, I guess that wouldn't shock me, but that brings its own problems with it. And he's like, okay, uh, I mean, it's more competition, but I mean, these are this is basically what your roster is going to be unless something really surprising happens uh, in the summer. Uh, but this is roughly what you should expect right. uh, from a talent standpoint. Yeah, I mean, just to think about like when when Josh Norman got cut by the Panthers, you know, when Gettleman was the GM. Hey, um, uh, when so when when he was cut by the Panthers. And I feel like there was something similar with like Deshaun Jackson. Maybe the Eagles cut him loose at a weird time. But pretty much like it's over at this point. Like either you have to trade for somebody who just drafted a center and they have like a serviceable replacement level player behind them. Like, or, but players are not going to be coming free that are starter quality at this point. Like it's just not going to happen. So yeah, I think you just got to roll with what you got. All right, Brian Bassett, thank you for joining us. We will definitely check in again as we get a little closer to the season. 
Everyone give him a follow on Twitter. A good long session today to get it out. Now everyone yeah. gonna take a breath and relax a little bit and then training camp will be here before we know it. So Brian, thank you for joining yes. us and uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. I had fun.